0: One author mused about the benefits of having little or no material possessions and said this, that blessed be nothing, remarked the wise sage, be glad if you've nothing in this day and age, for nothing is something that cannot be stole nor dropped from your pocket nor purse's small hole. Nothing is something the bank cannot lose, the creditors seize nor the burglars abuse. Folks who have nothing really should love it, for nothing is something the neighbors won't covet. Nothing is something that won't collect dust. You won't have to hide it nor protect it from rust. So if you have nothing, be glad, sing a song, for when leaving this earth, you can take it along. (laughs) When you have little or no possessions, it certainly creates an appreciation for perhaps when God blesses you with material possessions. Right after Janet and I were married, we moved to Denver, Colorado. We had lived in St. Louis, got married there, moved out to Denver. We certainly struggled to make ends meet. I was working part-time, going to school full-time. Janet was working in a bank, and uh, it was tough. I can remember going to a neighborhood market there, right off Broadway there in Denver, and I took with me a jar of pennies, and threw it out on the counter was counting out the pennies so we could get a couple boxes of of mac and cheese. Some of you may remember those kind of days when you were uh, first married. Kind of in that same season, Janet came home crying because she got a traffic ticket, and she was so overwhelmed about what that would mean for us because we had no money for a traffic ticket. Certainly no extra cash. We didn't have cable TV. We didn't own our home. We rented this small apartment in an attic above a home of somebody that we knew in the in the church that we had attended. The apartment was so small that you couldn't stand in the bathroom, couldn't stand in the shower uh, because, you know, the, uh, the, the the roof went like this. And so when I took a shower, you know, I had to, had to do this. Uh, the, The bedroom was so small, you could just fit a double bed, no dresser, just the bed. I felt poor living there. However, I think you'd agree that comparatively to how other people live, we were living like kings. I mean, really, especially when you compare what happens in Guatemala. See, we had two vehicles so we could go to our jobs, go to school. And if we didn't have a vehicle, there was public transportation for us that we could go pretty much anywhere we wanted in Denver. Uh, We had families and a faith community that that we were a part of, that were there to support and encourage us. We had this small apartment that we lived in that had a shower, that had a toilet within the apartment, a running toilet. Uh, We could turn on... The faucet and get a drink of clean water whenever we wanted. We had electricity. That's something that a lot of the folks within Guatemala do not have. When I visited Guatemala last fall, there are certainly many other developed areas within Guatemala, but this is certainly not one of them where our care point is. Uh, an average home for a family it's within this care point, are about 10 by 12 feet wood structure. Usually extended family stay within the one home, so you'll have, you could have six to a dozen people within the 10 by 12 home. That basically is a place for people to sleep and then a little cooking area off to the side. Of course, there's no indoor plumbing, so the toilet is outside. You can imagine the dynamics for a family where privacy is zilch and violence is common. Unemployment is rampant. What little land you have, you rent. Uh, And what farming you do is for your own sustenance and you certainly cannot make a living in terms of having an income off of that. Now the care point in Bethlehem serves two meals to the children. The children typically come from 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. And most of those families that send their kids to that care point depend on that care point to feed their children. And here you see the kitchen. That's the kitchen that feeds hundreds of children there. Now, a question I often get asked whenever we talk about involving ourselves in a ministry overseas is why send your money there when we got needs right here? I hear this often. I mean, why not meet needs in your community first? And then why Guatemala? Well, there are certainly needs in every country. But we have chosen Guatemala specifically because of the relationship, like I mentioned, that I have with Nate and the people there at Children's Hope Chest. We've also chosen Guatemala because it's far more accessible. We've looked at Africa very closely. But when we flew, for instance, this past October to Guatemala, round trip, it was just over 400 bucks. That's accessible for us. Uh, That was from Tulsa. Whereas you go to Africa, it's many times more expensive than, than that. As far as ministering outside of our community, we're not saying don't meet the needs here. We're saying we can do both and God is stretching us. This church has been so extremely generous and as a pastor it thrills my heart to see what God is doing in our midst these last several years as we've involved ourselves in Kenya. We've involved ourselves with Syrian refugees and made an impact there. Uh, We closed an entire school here in Springfield. Painted schools. We're involved both overseas and here, and and you guys have been extremely generous about that. It's not an either-or proposition. It's a both-and. And that, I think, is actually the heart of Jesus in all this, is it not? Just think of his last words to his disciples before he left this earth. What did he say? He said, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. In other words, not only the needs close by, But the needs elsewhere. And you say, well, wait a minute, that really makes me uncomfortable. We can't control all that. Maybe that's part of the idea. We're a lot more dependent upon God when we are pushed, we are pulled. We can't meet all the needs, but we can do something. And God has given us a responsibility as a believing community to care for the poor. Let me say it again God has given us a responsibility as a believing community to do what we can to care for the poor. Can't feed everybody, can't meet every need, but there's some that we can. Even under the Old Testament law, we normally don't think of the Old Testament as very compassionate, but even under the Old Testament law, listen to what God was wanting his people to do. Chapter 15, Deuteronomy, if among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Take care lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart and say, the seventh year, the year of release is near and your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother and you give him nothing and he cry to the Lord against you and you be guilty of sin. You shall give to him freely and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake, for there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. Now, I don't claim to be an expert on the poor. Uh, These two guys we had up here are far more adept at knowing the facts and the figures, but I certainly want to learn more. But this I do know. It sure seems to me when you have over 300 verses in the Bible regarding social justice and ministering to the poor, that God's heart is turned towards the poor. And it challenges me because I think that God favors that, and that's where our hearts need to be as well, right? And listen, when I say such things, it's not so we can feel guilty as Americans because we've been so blessed. Not at all. Thank God, I'm going to go home today, I'm going to have leftovers for brisket from yesterday, okay? I thank God for that. I'm going to enjoy that, and I'm not going to feel guilty about that. I'm going to be thankful that God has given me that. But I also know that God has given me other things, resources that I can leverage for the kingdom of God. God is not asking us to give away every penny and join a monastery. But he is asking us to take our resources and make a difference in the kingdom of God. Consider a random example of other verses from Proverbs. It says this. Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Whoever oppresses the poor insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. It is better to be of lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and will be repaid in full. These verses ought to be read at every presidential convention. Because the diatribe against the poor, and especially when it comes from Christians, We ought to be ashamed of ourselves. I'm not talking about you personally, but Christians in mass. The way we talk about the poor. A righteous man knows the rights of the poor. You know what that says? I need to educate myself. Knows the rights of the poor. A wicked man does not understand such knowledge. Doesn't even give a wit. Doesn't even care to look at it. But a righteous man cares because they know that's the heart of God. I want to find out what these needs are and what I can do. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Proverbs 3.19. Turn with me to the book of Acts, if you have your Bibles. The book of Acts. Or your smartphones. Acts chapter two. Here we have the New Testament saints that are filled with the Holy Spirit. That means they were controlled by God And they were doing the things that God wanted them to do, being controlled by God, as a church. And you know what that was? You know what they did? They had all these goods? They started a denominational credit union, and they had a bounce house for every church. That's what they did. Wait a minute. No, that's not what it reads. Let me read this. I think I misread it. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That's a great evangelism program, by the way. That's what that's just saying. Because you're, you're ministering to the poor, you're attending to the needs. People see that, it's like, I wanna be a part of that. But what, what was a part of God's activity here? You know, you, you ask the modern evangelical today, and you, how do you know God is working in a, in, in a church? Well, man, I was in there for worship, people raising their hands, speaking in tongues. God must be there. Or look at those new buildings. Look at all those people filling those buildings. God must be there. I'm not saying those are wrong or bad. God can do all that and can be in that. But let me tell you this. If you are not ministering to the poor, if you are not involved in terms of however we can participate, how can we say God is in that? It certainly includes our attitude, our generosity, our willingness to help with the poor. You say, Kevin, that sure sounds awfully judgmental. Well, listen to James. It says this, religion that is pure and undefiled from God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself on staying by the world. You look at every poverty situation. Who is it that usually gets the short end of the stick? It's women and children. And here, what God is telling us is that give special attention to the single women. Even in our own community, we learned through the the city manager that spoke to Convoy Hope. You know, you got people here in, in Springfield who are very low unemployment rate, people are working, but, but the poverty level, level is one of the highest in the state. So people are working, but they can't make ends meet. you got a single mom with two, three jobs, and they can't make it work. Just imagine how bad it is in a region like Guatemala. God is calling the church to do something about it. And before us today is an opportunity for us to grab a hold of one of those cards and to make a difference in the lives of 75 children. You know, a few weeks ago, 60 Minutes did a piece on something called face blindness. I'd never heard of this. Face blindness. Those, how many of you saw this piece on 60 Minutes? One person here has a TV. That's great. The rest of you are so godly because you don't have television. So just, wow, it's amazing. Um, those who suffer from this malady cannot recognize anyone, including their spouses and their children. I'd never heard of this, but it's a, it's a true thing. They cannot recognize anybody. And many people don't even know they have that condition of face blindness. I think the poor often are the victims of others who have face blindness. They go about their lives... And others are blind to their plight. Their faces are unrecognizable to those who have means. And I'm thankful that God is raising up a people here who are saying, I see that face. I see those eyes. I recognize your need. You are valuable to God, valuable to me. Let us not turn the other way. Here are over 70 children. Let us recognize their faces. Let us know their names. Marta, Angel, Monica, Olga, Lydia, Maria, Anna, Christina. We see you. Odalis, De Demarius, Heidi, Gabriella, Christian, Deborah, Deborah. You are valuable to God. Alvin, Astrid, Ronaldo, Adolfo. Vanessa, Amelia, Edie, Berlin, Crispina, Hugo, Marilyn, William. God sees you. We see you. Astrid, Mario, Elmer, Walter, Ronald, Eric, Kimberlin, Eduardo, Yensi, Tomasa, Irma, Danny. We see you. Angel, Daisy, uh, Brigida, Angelica, Claudia, Rosa, Irwin, Jefferson. Franklin, Franklin, Hyson, Ever, Juan, Demaria, Cindy, Jaime, God sees you. You are valuable to him. Alma, Sherlin, Lydia, Sonia, Anna, Minor, Edgar, Jefferson, Sylvia, Franklin, Chelsea, Kada. God sees your face and recognizes your need. Jessica, Paula, and Maria, Edgar, Brian, Crystal, Nelson. God sees every one of their faces. And we're to see their faces and tell them, we, we recognize you. You are valuable to God. I recognize your need. I'm willing to help. We can't do it all. But just about everybody can do something. Even if you're a, a high school student, you have a job, you can sacrifice $38 a month to make a difference. Some may even want to sponsor more than one child. Well, here's the drill. is immediately when we're done here. Go to the area where you have these cards that have the faces. Or if we're out of the face cards, take the ones without the face. You then go over to the main lobby area here the, beside the front entrance and you'll have people with an iPad. You go and they will get your sponsorship registered. Let every one of these 75 children know that we recognize their faces, and that they matter. Let's pray.